Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. Today we wrap up our series from guest speaker Pastor Steve Bray called Knowing Jesus, How the Gospel Changes Us. Looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to 32, we'll look at what this passage teaches us regarding how knowing Jesus changes our relationships. Today we once again go back to the Bible, back to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to finish our study in knowing Jesus, answering our week-long question, how does the gospel change us? To this point, we've learned that knowing Jesus, and I mean not just about him, not treating Jesus or the Bible like an encyclopedia, knowing Jesus is more than knowing of him, and we've learned it's not obeying a set of rules to win your way into his good graces, nor is it to say a prayer and live however you want. No. To know Jesus is to be in a relationship with him. And that, my friends, changes you. It changes me. It changes anyone who truly believes in him and trusts in him. You will then want to follow him. So, if that is the truth, and that is what's borne out in Scripture, especially as we've seen it in Ephesians 4, the knowing Jesus truly does change us. We are different. In Ephesians 4, 1-6, we were told that we have and want different goals. We have peace. We seek unity around the truth of God's Word. We are humble and patient, and we know what's important. In Ephesians 4, 6 through 17, we learn that we have a different destiny. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Knowing Jesus means I don't fear life or death. Jesus has redeemed, purchased my freedom, and given me grace, given you grace. Plus, it's a grace to serve and to be a part of something bigger, namely the church. We now live in community and not in isolation. Then in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, we learn that our outlook on life is forever changed. We have found and discovered that the world's ideology of surviving or simply making the best of this life and all the attempts at being happy will fall short eternally. Then next, in Ephesians 4, 25 to 29, we learn that knowing Jesus changes our lifestyle. We can now be honest, speak the truth in love, and it changes my disposition. Anger is controlled, and love is what governs me, and I'm more honest in work and in giving, and then I use my words to build up and to care for and to honor Christ and others. So today... As we finish up our study in Ephesians 4, we're going to look at verses 30 through 32. We are going to complete answering our question of how, with knowing Jesus changes my relationships, all of them, with Christ, with family, with friends and co-workers, fellow students, church family, neighbors, even enemies those who have hurt us or failed us, those who have betrayed us or abandoned us. Now, that's not to say we don't hurt, that scars are not left, that trust is not broken, and that some relationships are not hard. They are and will be. 
However, knowing Jesus in a full Ephesians 4 way, in light of all that God has done in giving us a new heart and a new source of power, giving us a new peace both with God and of God, and then giving us a new way of looking at life, don't ever forget 2 Corinthians 1.20, which says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Who? Christ. And that is why, through Him, that we utter our amen to God for His glory. You see, when you know Jesus, you get Jesus in a real way. He is your Savior. He is your advocate. He is your intercessor. He is your high priest. And He is your source of identity and value and power and even more. So with that in mind, listen as I read the end of this amazing chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 30 to the end, says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, not some or most, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, here's the flip side of it. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In verses 30 to 32, Paul gives two imperative commands. The first one ties all of chapter 4 together, and the second is based on the example of Christ. First, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And to be clear, he is not a force or some cosmic influence. He is a person with the same characteristics as both the Father and the Son. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, hear this, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. That's God's glory. But that word grieve is an interesting word. You see, often we think in terms of feeling bad or hurting, but Paul here is actually quoting from Isaiah 63, 10, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. So here, grieving reflects a serious offense. In Isaiah 63, 10, only one of two Old Testament texts that use the title Holy Spirit, it refers to Israel's rebellion in the wilderness, careful now, which led to their rejection by God. So the way we treat one another, the way we see life, the way we see God, the way we approach the Bible, the way we see ourselves as true Christians has an effect on the Spirit of God. Oh, and by the way, grieving doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit breaks down in tears. Paul, again, is referencing Isaiah 63.10. Israel grieved the Holy Spirit when they rebelled in the wilderness after he delivered them from Egypt. And Isaiah says that God became their enemy and fought against them. Now, do you see what this means? The Spirit of God 
gets righteously angry when we fail to treat each other properly in our communities. For lack of a better word, maybe we could express it, he's crying mad. Ever met anyone who is crying mad? (laughs) In my experience, you run from that type of person. Now, why does the Holy Spirit get crying mad when we fail to build up community? Because we're supposed to be his people, reflecting his love and his mercy. We're his body. So when we do this, we're sending mixed signals to the world. When we shake a fist at other believers, we're simultaneously shaking a fist in the face of God, and he is grieved. He will not stand for it. So what is it that grieves the Spirit? Notice in our passage, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Now, I believe this needs little or even no explanation. Hebrews says that bitterness is a root that grows into wrath, or more literally, rage and shouting that leads to a simmering boil, which leads me to cutting down another in slander and a general feeling of ill will. So bitterness towards people is the result of an unforgiving spirit. That is not knowing Jesus. Do you remember what Paul said back in verse 20? But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to do what? Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what we're called to. Now, where does this take us? How we see and treat others is a reflection of the way we ourselves have been changed by knowing Jesus. And when we fail to act in a way that honors people and God, it grieves the Holy Spirit. That's something perhaps we don't think about, but Pastor Steve explains that to offend the Spirit is a serious thing. But how do we ensure that our treatment of others is in alignment with knowing the gospel? We'll find out more right after the break. In our modern high-tech world, it seems like there's an app for just about everything. If you're looking for an easy and accessible way to catch all of our audio programs and more, then be sure to get our free mobile app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Now back to the Bible Canada is with you wherever you go. Listen, read the blog, watch videos, and stay connected with the ministry, all from your mobile phone or tablet. For more information or to download the app, just visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Pastor Steve Bray. In light of what we just read from Ephesians 4.20, let me put this all into perspective. I once heard a professing Christian woman say to another Christian woman, I don't like her as a person. What? How is that even possible? That's an example of what grieves the Spirit, and God rejects that. And so Paul finishes with what knowing Jesus ultimately looks like in a Christian when he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's how he wraps it all up. 
as God in Christ forgave you. This all boils down to this simple statement. How have you or how you and I treat others is grounded in God's treatment of us. Why? For the gospel's sake. It always and all comes back to the gospel. How well do you do it in the little things? It's fascinating to me that in the business world, excellence is often defined by doing a lot of little things well. And as Christians, we've been called to do a lot of little things well. Keeping track, giving attention and nurturing people. We need to be in the habit of regular checks, checks of our lives with God. And that is absolutely necessary to be able to know whether we are grieving or pleasing the Holy Spirit. Plus, when you know Jesus, you're not afraid to do this because of Jesus. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. So in other words, if we trust in Jesus and follow Jesus and walk according to Jesus towards Jesus, the result is we have a good fellowship with each other. And then there's the most famous verse in this passage, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, folks, understand, these verses are written to those who know Jesus. We are called upon to have a Christ-like DNA. You know, my DNA is what it is. I can't change this. What it is says about me is who I am. So are you and I compassionate? tender-hearted and forgiving? If you can't or won't be, then you and I have a problem. You cannot claim to know Christ and have experienced grace if you can't or won't live by it. If we refuse to forgive, instead demand our right to simmer with evil thoughts, then we do this because we refuse to recognize that God has forgiven us of far greater wrongs. So you and I are called to work hard at searching our hearts and looking inward. How much time do you spend thinking about what God has done for you? Do you remember what our passage says at the very end? For Christ's sake has forgiven you. God didn't even forgive you because of you. He forgave you because of Christ. God, who is love, sent his son of love to live a life of love and make a sacrifice of love so that we would live in his love forever. So how can we not forgive another brother and sister in Christ? If you've received the grace of God, how can we not then be changed and willing to give grace to someone else? As Paul counseled earlier in this chapter, Take off the old self. Put on the new self, that holy and righteous being you really are, and reflect the image of Jesus Christ. Replace dishonesty with sincerity. Replace simmering with peacemaking. Replace taking with giving. Replace rotten speech with edification. Now, understand Forgiveness doesn't mean you make little of the pain or hurt. 
Forgiveness is not ignoring a wrong. What it is, is refusing to hold someone hostage to it. And that is what God has done for you. Think again of that mercy, or think again of what mercy is and what grace is. Mercy is when God doesn't do to us what we do deserve, or give us what we do deserve. And grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. In fact, one of the most amazing definitions of grace I've ever heard is grace is unmerited favor from an unobligated giver. God doesn't owe us, never has, never will, but still gives us his mercy and grace. And I want to make sure everyone knows forgiveness doesn't mean you'll not struggle. One thing we often get confused about the gospel is we say that God forgets our sin. And we usually are thinking in terms of Psalm 103, 11, and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And then he says, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. But what that says is God, because of Christ, doesn't forget. He chooses not to remember. So forgiveness for us is not negating the hurt, the scar, or even the struggle. It's saying to another person on account of Christ, I will not remember this. I won't rehearse this over and over again. And I believe the greatest example, one of my favorite stories of this, is the Holocaust survivor and great saint of God, Corrie Tin Boone. She tells of a time in 1947 when she went back to Germany, of all places, to speak on forgiveness. After she spoke on this, a former guard from the prison camp she was held at, where her sister and family had been so hurt, tortured, and even killed, stood in front of her, extended a hand, and said, I have accepted Christ and would like to ask you for your forgiveness. Listen to Corey's words. And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever to do. And I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I learned that day that forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You need to supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole brain, bringing tears to my eyes, and I cried out, I will forgive you, brother, with all my heart. What a way for us to finish. Jesus lived for us, died for us, and he was innocent 
and we are guilty. Jesus rose again victorious, which means he is who he claims to be. The Bible is true, and what it says and promises are also true. So my audience and friends, will you turn to Jesus and trust in him and believe in him? And if and when you do, you will always do what you believe. Ephesians 4, to know Jesus changes you. It changes your goals, your destiny, your outlook, your lifestyle, and your relationships. And I pray you will know Jesus and will know others who know him too. Pastor Steve, thank you for a wonderful week that you've spent with us in the Word of God. And as I reflect upon everything that you've said for this week, I am I kind of think that where you ended is where you started. You told us that when we know Christ, everything changes. And I wonder whether there's a greater symbol of that everything has changed that when I finally come to the place where I can forgive my enemies. Absolutely. And I don't think, again, that anything is more powerful a witness to a watching world than when we face adversity, when we face failure, betrayal, whatever it might be, that we can look to Jesus and then offer what he has done for us every day, past, present, and future, and offer that to people in our lives today. Well, Pastor Steve, thank you very much. God bless you as you're on your way home. We want to remember to pray for you here at Back to the Bible. And uh, we just want to encourage individuals, if you're in Newfoundland, we want to make sure that they stop there. What a great series this has been with guest speaker, Pastor Steve Bray, on what knowing Jesus means for our daily lives. For knowing Jesus transforms everything about us, from our goals, our destiny, outlook, lifestyle, and relationships. Our faith is one of action and not just head knowledge. Today we learn that it impacts how we treat others and how willing we are to forgive. So as we conclude this series, let's ask ourselves, how do we fare? Are our lives matching up with what we believe? I hope that you've been encouraged and challenged by these teachings as we strive to live in the light of the gospel. Join us next week as Dr. Neufeld begins a new five-week series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount entitled, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. The land of ancient Greece awaits you. Introducing Back to the Bible Canada's newest ministry vacation event. From April 24th to May 5th, 2017, we'll be taking 80 ministry guests to experience our New Testament Greece by land and by sea tour. Walk in the footsteps of Paul throughout Greece, connecting with much of his missionary journey. Visit such famous locations as Ephesus, Corinth, Athens, and the island of Patmos, the place of the Apostle John's revelation. Hear daily Bible teaching from Dr. John Newfeld. enjoy words of encouragement and laughter with Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and share in worship and be inspired by the music with award-winning artist Shane and Angela Weeb. This will be an amazing and inspiring journey with eight days on land and four days on the Mediterranean Sea. 
Don't miss out on your chance. Space is limited, so call us today at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or for more information, visit backtothebible.ca. And remember that all of the costs associated with these types of events are met by those who participate.